Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, a premium independent podcast where we provide a premium fan experience. Hosted by Blaine Pudney, Treg Wilson, and Matt Smith. Our goal is to give you informative, honest hockey discussion and entertainment. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putney. I am joined by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Hello. Our co-host, Matt Smith, couldn't be here. So we brought in a ringer. We brought in Matthew Zader, the head pro- uh, the head of prospects for the NHL draft and Canucks lead writer for the hockey writer. Uh, he is also co-host of the Canucks Pucks podcast. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we're glad you uh, you jumped in on short notice. Uh, we appreciate you doing that. Yeah, no problem. I think you're going to bring a lot of uh, a lot of different takes, seeing as how you're you cover the Canucks, and uh, you're you're not in the military like us two dummies. You're probably a smart <laughs> man. <laughs> smart enough not to fall for that. Hey, you like camping line? Yeah, I love camping. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So, Matt, uh, this being a Habs podcast and you're here, obviously you're here to talk about the Canucks and the upcoming series the Canadians are going to have. But before we jump into that, uh, I think it's, it's, we have to, we owe it to our listeners to discuss a little bit of the um, ass kicking the Canadians gave the Oilers. I'm sure you don't mind seeing the Oilers getting their butts whooped. No, I don't mind at all. <laughs> so uh treg what do you think what what do you think happened to the canadians to get so lucky as to win two whole games as a great desire once said they played as a family see what i did there rowing off anyway yeah didn't the uh, off family get it executed no <laughs> but not all czars got executed the last ones did yeah well no because romanoff <laughs> is the last one anyway uh i think they just played good shutdown hockey uh their penalty kill came out to play they had 10 power 10 penalty kills in the the two game series and they stopped them all 
uh, Deneau and Suzuki shut down Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid. Uh, I think McDavid in the whole series only had maybe three good scoring chances in the entire series, the entire two games. Um, Allen played superb last night as the back. It was the first time since uh, 1978 when we had Bunny LaRock. Can we actually say we've had a, a good backup goalie? Um, what about when we had Halak? Yeah, okay, sure. Peter Budai. You know, I like Peter Budai. I'll go back as far as Peter Budai. How's that sound? Black Peter and white Budai. era. Well, I'm, I'm just saying. Bunny LaRock. I mean, we're not going back as far as Toronto's last cup. I'm just going back to, you know. But uh, they played a complete game. Uh, it wasn't flawless. They weren't flawless games. Um, like I say, especially in game two, they took way too many penalties, uh, especially against the top power play in the league last year. Um, I think all lines are playing well. Uh, we'll get into Toffoli later when we talk to Matt, but I think that third line uh, is starting to gel. Kotkaniemi and Toffoli are both getting their chances. They're just not getting the puck in the net. That's going to come. Uh, same with the uh, Suzuki, Drew, and Anderson line. Uh, they haven't scored since game since the Toronto game, but they're they're being consistent. They're 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 driving that the net. They're creating offense. And uh, and the power play that for once uh, we can say I think Montreal's a top power play in the league right now after three fourth. games, fourth. fourth. Uh, but still, that's you know a far cry from like twenty eighth or whatever they were last year and twenty uh, second, twenty second. Yeah. So um, everything's clicking. Uh, they they're, they're playing hard. They're playing to win. Uh, they're not sitting back on a lead. They're uh, and they're just playing 60-minute games. And far too long, you know, Blaine, as a Montreal fan, the last couple of years, it seems we play 45-minute games and 50-minute games, and it just seemed like that extra 10 minutes was the 10 minutes that we needed to win. And the other team would win within that 10-minute window. So, uh, uh, so far this year, even the Toronto game, even though it was an overtime loss, I think they controlled the game. Uh Blame whoever you want, blame the refs, blame Byron, blame whatever. Uh, but uh, a series of four penalties in a row is what killed them uh, there in the second, third, first, or third period. And uh, that's that. So the Edmonton series was good. Montreal played good. They got to keep playing that way. It's on to Vancouver, who is in a similar spot as Edmonton. They're so far start stumbling out of the gates. Uh, but... Uh, I don't think there's anything we should take lightly and uh, we'll get into no. that with Matt when, uh, when the, when the time comes up. So uh, I'm pretty much going to echo all your sentiments. Uh, I agree with your points on that. I wrote an article today about uh, the three takeaways from that, uh, from the, the first three games of the season and special teams plays heavily into it. Um, discipline or lack thereof is a massive, massive issue in Montreal. So these are, these are two areas that special teams need to continue. Discipline needs to be found. So that's, that's pretty much what I was, I was on about there. But as for the blame game, you wrote something about Drewing uh, that came out today. And I'd like yeah. to get Matthew's take on what he thinks of the fan base and their hatred for a player on their own team. Yeah, the Canucks have the similar thing with Jake Vertanen. Um, there's a split between fan base on what on if he's on track for being such a high draft pick, and but yeah, similar situation to Drew, and it's he can do nothing right. Um, he scored the other day, but there's still people saying, well, he needs to, including myself. I want to say that myself. I'll say that too. I, I've Vertanen's frustrated me to no end throughout his career in Vancouver. So, but yeah, the Vertanen is the same type of thing where he's his, but he brings a lot on that himself. I don't know a similar thing to Duran or not with that, but his work ethic isn't always consistent. His consistency itself isn't consistent. Um, I think he just brings on that, that type of opinion on himself a lot of the time. And I think maybe that's why Duran said, from the past, he's been very inconsistent with his scoring as well. So I think that's probably why 
that hatred kind of brings out because they don't play to their potential. Um, and the, you see the talent in both players, and it's ridiculous. And Druen's a lot more talented, I think, than Vertanen, but um, you see that ridiculous amount of talent, and you wonder why they just don't consistently bring that type of um, game every game, right? I withdrew it, and I brought it up in the article. He, uh, When he first came to Montreal, he was set to fail. They wanted him as their 1C, and he hadn't played C since junior, uh, and he didn't succeed at it. Uh, he only had a 43-point season in his first year, 13 goals, and he was brought in as the – I blame the whole first season on management. I, I really do. <clears throat> they put him in the wrong position. Uh, he was struggling in that position, but they kept him there. They didn't really have any other options, let's be honest. But uh, And uh, he struggled. They, they, clawed, uh, they lauded him as this next French guy, superstar guy coming in. Uh, yes, he's a third-over draft pick. He's not an 80-point guy. He's never going to be an 80-point guy. Uh, however, the next season had a good start. He had his career best, tied his career best for 53 points. Uh, and then last year, he worked in the offseason with Dominic Descharm to work on his finer points of his game, his overall game play. And in the first 19 games when he played, he played well. He had 15 points. He was back-checking the best as he can. He's not a defensive player. So, you know, I just find it silly to knock a guy for his defensive play when you know he's not – that's not the type of player he is. He's not good defensively. And that's okay. It's okay to not be good at an area of the game, right? Yeah. As long as it makes up in other places. And that's what he was doing. He hurt his wrist. I believe he came back too early. Uh, nothing really – there's no proof of that. There's nothing saying no one's ever come out and said he did, but I think he came, he was longer than he should have been came back. I think too early, but with COVID and the health, he came back and played a great playoff series. He had a rough couple games in Pittsburgh. And then after that, he, him and Suzuki met the chemistry and off he went. And I find people just forget about the fact that last season he was leading the team in scoring before he got hurt. Uh, during the playoffs, he led the team and tied with Suzuki for team leading scoring, had good chemistry with Suzuki, assisted on a couple game-winning goals. And uh, that this year, point-per-game player, uh, back-checking, making good defensive back-checks, uh, going to the corners, doing the job that he needs to do. But all anyone remembers this year is, of course, the goal last night by Shorzy. And the fact that he bounced a puck off a referee, even though the referee shouldn't have been standing there in the first place. So <laughs> on that goal, that shorthanded goal they gave up in Edmonton, um, I'm watching the play develop, and there was two no look <clears throat> back passes during the power play, during a line change. Shore is just watching this happen, and the puck's not going cross ice; it's staying right in the same lane and only about five or six feet apart. Mm. So you just set him up to fail. Mm. Yeah, he's going to get stripped. I mean, Drew, when he's got a, a four-checker on him that fast, uh, yeah, he's going to get stripped. So you kind of set him up to fail there. And then that's fine. You know what? Like, he's going to make mistakes. And, and... and it's so in, inconsequential. You're up yeah. 3 nothing with a minute and five seconds left, yeah, and you I gave think, up a goal. I think Who someone cares? on Facebook was yeah. saying – Oh, well, a guy hit the crossbar shortly after that. That would have made it 3-2. The crossbar was hit like with 45 seconds left in the game or something like that. Or What about the crossbar they hit in the first period? Exactly. And what it's about like the I open said, net McDavid missed? Yeah, and, and I said to – I, I kind of re- replied to – I don't really reply a lot on Facebook because it just turns into a kid's game Facebook. of – I, yeah. I said, he said. So I, uh, I just said, well, lots of people have made mistakes. Uh, look at – Suzuki gave the puck up same similar play in the playoffs against Pittsburgh that led to a goal. Byron went to the bench too early in Toronto. Uh, how many times has Patrick, you know what I mean? Like my point is why is drew always so much more magnified than everybody else? Mm-hmm. It, it's because you want to hate him. You're not really looking at his overall gameplay. You've just decided by the fact that I don't like this guy because he doesn't play the way I want him to play hockey. Well, yeah. guess what? Phil Kessel doesn't play defense. As a matter of fact, he sits at the blue line the entire friggin' time, no matter what it is, just waits for the puck. He got two cups. Yeah, and it's a big yeah. reason why his Pittsburgh got two cups. He can't hear you. He's got his cup rings <laughs> in his ear. 
you know, and uh, you just have uh, Alexei Kovalev. Oh, Kovalev. How many times did now. he play at 100%? Of course, he could play at 10% and still score three goals. But my yeah. point is, you know, what kind of player would Kovalev have been if he played 100 And I get, I get what they're saying about Druin. He doesn't play consistently at 100%. I get it. But there's just some hockey players that do that, and there's nothing you can do yeah. with it. Accept him for what he is and live with it. Now, uh, moving on from that, we're going to move into what we brought Matt on the show for. We're Bash going to him about Vancouver. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk about Vancouver and what needs to, what what Canadians fans should be looking out for and what basically what Vancouver needs to win. So that's what I'm going to start you off with here, Matt. Um, the Canadians are coming to town. <clears throat> what does Vancouver need to do to sweep the Habs? There's a lot. Um, stay out of the box. Um, kill a freaking penalty. <laughs> and stop allowing the last-minute goals, which they've allowed in the last two games, last-second goals in periods that have gone on to let them up down two goals um, in games. And biggest thing is they can't they can't score on the power play, they can't kill a penalty, and they're taking too many penalties. Sounds and if that happens, <laughs> if that happens against Montreal, uh, game over. Um, same thing. I, top players aren't being the top players. Pedersen hasn't had. He's only had. He only has one point. Hasn't been very noticeable throughout the games. Um, JT Miller just returned last game. They played a little better, but I, I still feel like the, just the top players aren't being a Hoaglander as much as we loved him in his first game. I really haven't noticed him in the last like last game was okay. Um, previously wasn't that good either. Um, I mean, it was good in the last couple games. I don't know. I, I think I think just the Canucks as a whole, the top players just aren't performing. Now, biggest thing is those special teams, which have killed in the last three losses. Do you feel like they're supported enough? I mean, is there enough depth on this team to be able to step up and cover off some of these deficiencies, or are they they've got too many holes? Um, I mean, I at the beginning of the season, I said in my uh, season preview that the Canucks had a lot of depth. Um, this was because Hoaglander was doing so well in preseason. He had his first NHL goal in his first game. He was really good in the second game. I thought that second line was pretty good. Um, biggest thing, I, top two lines have to start going. And, um, you know, Vertanen supposed to be that depth player, Gaudet who had a ton of chances last game. He could have had two or three goals if uh, Markstrom didn't play like Markstrom did in last, yeah, played like how he did in the, for the Canucks last few seasons. Um, Tanev's got to stop blocking shots too for Calgary. Um, that's that's another story. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think the Canucks do have the depth if they all perform, and that's – that's the case in a lot of teams. They have depth if everyone plays right. Um, but I mean, in general, I think the Canucks have a lot of talent to, you know, cover up that. But the thing is, is their top players have still got to score. I mean, that lotto line of uh, Miller, Pedersen, and Besser have to start scoring. And I didn't feel their, like their Corsi numbers are usually really strong. Um, last game, I think they were at sub 30 percent and that's not normally what they do they were i think they were at 27 point something um percent in coursey coursey four percentage and that means they're not they don't have the puck and they're allowing way too many shots when they're there on the ice so i feel i think the canucks just need to have those top two lines going a bit more um the third and fourth lines aren't going to be scoring a lot anyway but You'd hope that Godet Vertanen and Roussel's playing on that third line right now. Um, they could actually, you know, produce some offense. You know, the fourth line isn't going to do much uh, with Sutter, uh, Beagle, and uh, Mott. So, yeah, the defense, like they've allowed a bunch of goals in the last bunch of a few games. They allowed five to Calgary yesterday. They allowed 
five to Edmonton. They allowed three. So that's like, if I do my math right, that's 13 uh, goals against, and they only scored, um, I think, three or four. Uh, they got to score. They got to defend. I, and I don't know. I, I'm trying to find positives in their game in the last few games, and it's kind of hard. So, I mean... <laughs> As do you find can, uh, do you find your losses this off season are outweighing your gains? Like with for players, like do you find you lost Markstrom, you lost uh, Tanov, you lost uh, what else did you lose? Holy, yeah. Do you find uh, do you find that they're who you brought in isn't really enough to fulfill what you lost? I thought we did. I thought the Canucks did bring in enough, but like Nate Schmidt is a big addition and he's played. Okay. I, I feel like he's had some giveaways um, that is usually uncharacteristic of him. I usually pretty solid defense and that could be just him getting adjusted to the system since like no one's had exhibition games. Usually these kinks are kind of worked out in those games. Um, right now it feels like the Canucks are in exhibition mode as much as they say they aren't. I think they are in that and they can't be. Um, you can't be losing a bunch of games. You're already falling behind in this season that has only 56 uh, games in it. And you can't be going on long losing streaks. Like usually three game losing streaks, like, Oh yeah, well it happens. Right. But in this season, you can't go into those losing streaks. You're going to fall way behind pack. And I don't know if it's, if you're able to get back because you're playing every game in the division. Um, How much are you going to gain? if you keep losing to these teams, like there's no freebies as much as, you know, in the previous seasons where you can kind of gain points when other teams aren't playing, when you're not playing in the division, you're playing, the, playing against Eastern conference teams, you can gain those points. I find that this slump can't last much longer, or they're going to be talking about the first overall pick in no time. So, I mean, maybe too been- early, but I think, I think like to your question, I think the Canucks did, bring in enough um, if everyone kind of performs. I mean, Schmidt is supposed to be good uh, moving the puck through that. I thought the defense got way better in the off season with their puck movement. I, I haven't found that being a strength so far. They haven't been able to use that speed, that puck moving, that style that Travis Green likes to play to the best of their ability so far. I mean, bringing in Schmidt, uh, Hoaglander was, you know, he's an upgrade in the top six if, just from his skill, but he is a rookie. I mean, you can't say, oh, you know, if he's not performing, it's still, he's still adjusting to this league. Um, and being in the top six, I mean, teams are keying on him too. So I, I find that if everyone kind of performs, there is enough depth to, to play. But when you look at the losses, like Chris Tanev on the penalty kill is huge. Uh, he blocks a ton of shots. He plays that shutdown game i haven't felt that hamannick has brought that same same presence on the back end that tanev did and i mean the goaltend has been up and down i mean hope he's played okay demko's played okay but when you look at what markstrom's done in calgary so far it's they're looking like a downgrade at this point now with the defensive side i'm going to it's kind of a two-part question the first part I'm going to cover I'm going to ask about the offensive transition game so Quinn Hughes being the big uh, the big name there for uh, young offensive defenseman do you find that his lack of production so far is due to his play or is it because the forwards just aren't clicking yet I think it's too I think it's a bit of both um I mean Hughes is amazing He's probably one of the top young young defensemen in the league right now. Um, and that's not a homer in me. That's a lot of people have said this. Um, he is. He's one of the best young defensemen in the league right now, next to Kale McCarr. Um, and Romanoff. And he has, you know, Romanoff's been really good too. I mean, he has. Um, I feel that Quinn Hughes is, he's had his game like the last few games to start the season. He's been good. I mean, he's moved the puck. He hasn't, he hasn't been bad. I don't think he's been the problem. Um, I think a lot of the forwards aren't connect, you know, receiving passes. A lot of passes aren't connecting like in the Calgary game yesterday They they couldn't complete a pass to the neutral zone. I mean, and putting it in defeat. 
uh, bobbling passes. You know, to play with speed, you got to be able to complete a pass at least one. And that's they've been kind of shut down as they try to get to the blue line. They're not completing a pass through the neutral zone. I think that's a big part of it. Um, the power play has been a, a huge momentum killer throughout this whole uh, losing streak. It's it's killed momentum like last, yesterday, same thing. They couldn't score on a power play and Calgary gets momentum off the penalty kill. And now you're down um, to nothing rather than, or now you're down to one rather than being up to nothing. And that's what happened yesterday. And they couldn't recover from it. Um, I think that's the biggest thing in the Canucks game is the transition game is the speed game. And to do that, they got to be able to actually have some flow uh, to that game. Now, the second part to my question kind of ties into that as well. Um, I noticed that Calgary was was clogging up the neutral zone and yeah. they were pressuring your defense. Do you feel that they, they, they lost a little bit too much of the mobility that they had last year with the losses on the blue line? Personally, I think they gained mobility. I mean, on paper, you lose Tanev, who's okay puck mover. He, he has a good first pass. Um, throughout his career, he's been good at that, uh, efficiently moving the puck. Um, Nate Schmidt's supposed to be better at that. He's supposed to be able to move, be able to move the puck quicker with his skating. Um, he's a great passer. I feel like he's an upgrade. Um, Havnick in his career, he's been a good puck mover. He's not the biggest offensive defenseman, but he's supposed to be able to move the puck. Um, Ole Yolevi's an efficient puck mover. He's a rookie, but he has had that in his repertoire of moving the puck. I feel the Canucks upgrade got got better in mobility, but you know the eye test is kind of looked different um, on paper is a different thing than being you know playing the games. And right now, I think the Canucks just haven't looked better than last year, and they're supposed to be. And the upgrades on the blue line was supposed to happen that way. It may still it may still be gelling. I mean, Yulevi again is still a rookie. He's He's playing in his first season. He's only had a few games and he's only playing 10 minutes a night either. So as well. So I, I think, and Schmidt's playing a ton. I feel like I said, I, I think the Canucks actually upgraded on the mobility, but it just hasn't come to fruition yet. Okay. Goaltending. Holpe was brought in to be the mentor to Demko, I guess, uh, He's kind of on the downswing, I think, his last couple of years in Washington. Since he won the Cup, I don't think he's been a great goalie at all. Pert, that's just my personal opinion on it. Uh, but I thought it was actually kind of a good move by Vancouver because I think it would give you a 1A, 1B, Demko, Hopi, with Demko taking the reins, and then Hopi doing a mentor. Uh, I was just looking over the stats they both look terrible. No, you know, like they're not playing good. Neither one of them seem to be playing good hockey. I mean, Demko has over a four goals against average in his two games and Hopi 380 something or something with save percentages in the mid eight, eight hundreds. Uh, is this a testament to how well they're playing or to how well the team in front of them is playing? <clears throat> like we saw in the Edmonton series, Koskinen yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Like, last night's game, two of the three goals he should have had. Uh, Romanov's first goal. I'm glad he got it, but the goalie should have had that goal. That was, uh, I, I think he was even surprised when that went in. Do yeah. you find it's the same thing in Vancouver? Do you find, like, where do you think that, because uh, you have two good goalies, but they're just yeah. not playing to the. Again, I think it's part of the part. They're supposed to be, on paper, they're supposed to be a good 10. Um, Holpe, his first game, he was really good. Um, his next game against against Calgary again, he had. You know, I don't know if I fault him on any of the goals that he allowed, but I think part. I to answer your question, I think it's it's a bit of both again. I think mostly it's the it's the what the team's doing in front of them. Um, there's a couple goals that kind of you know, that, that the defense kind of gave it up to him. Like the goal that uh, Giordano scored to kind of blew it out, you know, blew the game wide open was they sh just threw it up the middle and he just blasted it by the goalie. I mean, how are you supposed to 
as a goaltender, how are you supposed to stop that when you're the, you know, the other Canucks are just serving it up on a platter for the other team. I think the Canucks haven't played good defensively. They really haven't helped their goaltenders out. Um, I don't think any of the goal, you know, both Demko and Hopi have overly bad in the last few, you know, the stats kind of show different. They, they show that they're not playing well, but if you look, if you're, you know, watching the games, I, I don't feel like a lot of the goals were their fault. Um, I think overall I think the team just has to tighten up in front of them. And that's supposed to be what the Canucks are supposed to be getting better at in the off season as well. And what Travis Green is supposed to tighten up because Markstrom was the reason the Canucks were in the playoffs last year. I mean, that's just, that's just what it was. How many shots they gave up, how many high danger chances they gave up last season. The only reason they were in the playoffs and the way they were, why they were where they were was because of Markstrom. And that's what Holpe and Demp have got to bring this season, unless the Canucks actually tighten up defensively and not allow so many chances on, um, on their goaltenders. Yeah, they did seem to give up a lot of <clears throat> high danger chances. Yeah. Uh, there was a there was a ton of shots from the slot. <clears throat> Calgary was pretty much unmolested going to the net. Now, and they didn't have a lot of guys. That, I mean, they got a Kachuk, so that yeah. that counts for a lot. But um, the Canadians have quite a few players that like going to that dirty area. How how is Vancouver going to? Uh, put it uh, put a stop to that because it, you got Anderson Gallagher is always in the kitchen yeah. um, you know Kotniemi is starting to go there now there's there's quite a few players that are going how, how does Vancouver offset that unfortunately I think that's a weakness in the Canucks game on defense is like you lose Tanev who was really good in front of the net in in boxing out guys and I like when I said the Canucks have to make an effort to resign him. A lot of people got on me. He's he's aging. He's injury prone. We need a better defense. You know what? You know we're already seeing it early. He's a big. He was a big part of this defense core. He was, you know, he did a lot of things right. Underrated things that you don't notice until it's gone. And I think the Canucks have missed him on the back end. Um, you know, guys like Schmidt, who's a big guy, he's supposed to be able to, you know, clear guys in front of the net. He's not usually a guy that does that. Um, but, I mean, his size is supposed to be supposed to be able to at least handle a bit of that. Um, he didn't handle Connor McDavid very well when he went to the net on that last second goal. Just going back to that. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the, a guy that's good in front of the net, and I can't really think of one. Alex Edler is up and down in that area. Um, Hammonick is supposed to be good in front of the net in that, in that capacity too. Right now, I think the Canucks may be in trouble in, in fighting guys in front of that. You saw Kachuk kind of have his way last game. Um, and through penalties too. And, you know, Tyler Myers is a big guy. He doesn't always play big and that's the problem. I, you know, he played, and I, I commend him for standing up for his player then, you know, but punching to Kachuk in the face, that's what he wanted. He wanted you to retaliate, and that's what exactly what you did. And that's and then Calgary scores in the power play. So he went I went down think, like he was shot by a sniper. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but he, like they said, he, he draws he drew the most penalties last season. Yeah. And that's why. In he should be getting penalties for that, for diving, but in the yeah, end, I think he's just very good at what he does. No, they're just worried about cross checks in front of the net. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in all honesty, Toronto proved in the first game against Montreal that you need a you need uh, traffic in front of Price to score on them. Uh, yeah. If you go back to that game, a lot of the goals scored on Carey Price was because he was screened. You look at the Edmonton game; Montreal did a great job of clearing the front of the ice in both games for Allen and Price. They've seen a lot of the shots. I mean, the only goal on Price was a fluke shot off the side of his helmet, and the only goal on Allen was a breakaway. So, uh, um, so to me, that is going to be a hard thing for Vancouver if Montreal keeps playing like that because they really don't have anyone that can 
Montreal has big defensemen that are going to Edmondson, Sherratt, Weber, even Romanoff. They're going to clear the front of that uh, thing. And and again, I'm not bashing on Vancouver, but you look in that lineup and I don't see anyone in their lineup that can match the, that can stick in there. Like even, uh, and then if you look on the other side, you have Anderson, you have, like Blaine said, you have Anderson, you have Gallagher, you have uh, uh, Cotton Yemi, you have uh, Armia. All them guys have no issue going to the front of the net and using their size to gain position. Um, and does Vancouver have an answer for that on either end? Now, you already answered the, the defensive end, but do they have an answer to that on the offensive end? Like, like do they have uh, a guy that can get in front of that net and stay there? No. And Jake Furtanen, again, going back to him, he's supposed to be a guy that's – he's a big guy. Problem is, I think in Vancouver's and a lot of teams, when they look at a guy that has that type of size, they say, well – supposed to be power forward he's supposed to go to the net he's supposed to do this and that he's not that type of player um zach cassian had the same treatment in vancouver when he was here he plays a little more like that in edmonton now but i found when he was here i thought he was a more of a finesse player um just because he's big doesn't mean he's gonna be a power forward and britannon rarely shows it he doesn't go to the net with authority when he does he's great I mean, he does it. When he does do it, a lot of guys can't stop him because he is fast, he is big. But he doesn't do it with a consistent enough... He doesn't do it consistent enough that people would be afraid of him doing it. And I feel he's not a danger in the front of the net. Um, that's the only guy I can really pick out that could potentially. But, I mean, you look at a guy's... And again, these are... These are depth guys. These are Tyler Mott. This is not big guy. He's not a big guy. He does go to the net, but he's not big. Um, Canucks have someone coming, the silly pod Colson, who will do that. And he did that a lot in the World Juniors, but he's not here. So no point in talking about it. But in the lineup right now, I don't see anyone that can unless Zach McEwen gets into the lineup. But again, he's not going to be playing a lot to be a big factor. Uh, in the top two lines, Bo Horvat as the big most side, JT Miller and Bo Horvat would be the two that I would pick out as being guys that would be going to the net. But again, I don't see them as two guys that do that a lot. As you know, you you say Bo Horvat, oh, he's you know, he's a big net front presence. I I don't see it. I'm not bashing my own team. I think <laughs> I'm just going by, you know, I'm honest. I'm honest on it. And I think well, at their best. I think the Canucks top six can match with anyone. Um, but right now I don't feel like the lotto line is, they're supposed to be one of the best lines in the NHL. And they were at times, a lot of the time last season, they maybe still need some time to hit their stride. JT Miller just played his first game. So you can't really jump to the fact that, Oh, you know, they're done. But I mean, I'm going to write an article on, on this. I think the Canucks need to change up their power play. Um, to use their one-timers more. And they don't do it. But to, yeah, to the to answer the question, we're not going off, off on a tangent here, but I think the Canucks don't have anyone that consistently does that for them to actually go to the net with authority where teams are like, okay, we got to deal with these guys in front of the net. They don't do it enough. So what you're saying, Matt, is Vancouver win two out of three games because for some reason Montreal always loses to the teams that uh... – they should be. I'm just <laughs> maybe. I don't know. They say think... last year. This is a whole. This is a whole two new team though this year. Yeah. Judging the by thing, our first three games. The thing is, I the Canucks haven't had a lot of luck with Montreal in the past, especially against Carey Price. You look at his numbers. I wrote an article not that long ago when we we're talking about the All Canadian Division becoming something. I said the Canucks are going to have problems in this division because they can't score on the goaltenders in the division. Perry Price is a ridiculous record against the Canucks. Uh, Frederick Anderson is a ridiculous record against the Canucks. Hellebuck has you can barely score on the guy, and we haven't played. And the Canucks haven't even played any of them yet, and we're having problems with Calgary and Edmonton, who are supposed to be the two teams that they didn't have problems with. So, <laughs> well, yeah, we're talking I, about uh, we're talking about cleaning up the home plate for the Canucks. So I think we could uh, we could talk about cleaning up our home plates. 
So uh, support for the for Habs Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Big news, Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over at all times. Who knew smelling this good can feel this good too? Everyone knows Manscaped has the perfect package 3.0 for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs, but they didn't stop there. Complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways, unlike Shea Weber. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. Like Druin. Like Druin. <laughs> Calm and inviting, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst like Pedersen. Before settling onto the anchoring notes of ve uh, vetiver and a woodsy masculine finish, like Anderson. This 50 millimeter spray cologne is even hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, dye-free, paraben-free, gluten-free, fair trade, and 100% vegan. Like Demco. Like... Uh, also, be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 with all the essentials for below-the-waist uh, below grooming needs, including a lawnmower 3.0 trimmer and crop formulations. Yes, I'm talking about ball deodorant and toner to keep your testes besties. So, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. I'll repeat that. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls and body will thank you. And it's no coincidence that Manscaped sponsored us and then the Montreal Canadiens decide to make a partnership with them. No coincidence whatsoever. <laughs> so technically, we're the official podcast of the Canadians. Technically, unofficially, <laughs> official. Because we're polyamorous with the same people. Vicariously, through Manscaped, we're the official podcast of uh, Montreal. Kind of cut, in a way. A smooth transition. Smooth. Just like our balls. Um, so, moving back to, um, to Vancouver, um, Cotton Yemi is going to be coming back to town. And I understand there's a little bit of a hate for him in the city. Is, is that true? It's true because of what he did to Patterson in his rookie season. What, he, he body checked him? I mean, come on. Tripped him, yeah. I I didn't think it was that big a deal. I mean, he did he did trip him a little bit of a – I it, it wasn't as big as what everyone's kind of pulled it out to be. I – yeah, I'll say it. I'll put it at that. I'll leave it at that. You're this, well, Matt, this is the same fan base that burned their city down when they lost the Stanley Cup. So uh... Montreal did the same thing after a first-round loss, so let's not get all ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, they tend to overreact. Uh, from a Montreal point of view, I don't think Kotmany really did anything that wrong. I think he went in for the check. It was a bit of an awkward check for the two of them, and yeah. they just fell awkwardly. Uh, other way around, you probably have the Habs fan base doing the same thing about Pedersen. Oh, yeah. I mean, but is this really a, a storyline in Vancouver right now? It's not. I haven't heard it <clears throat> since. I mean, it's been a couple. I think we, the Canucks have played Montreal since then a couple times, I think. Um, it's not that big of a deal anymore, I don't think. Um, I think what it is is just. It's just too young. It was because Pedersen was such a, a big – he is still a big deal um, in, in Vancouver, but I think at the time he was a star rookie. He had already gotten hurt uh, with the you know the body slam by Matheson in Florida, and then he gets hurt again. I, I think it was just kind of two things, and then and it's the player that did it. And two young players – I don't know. I again, like I said, it wasn't. I don't think it was that huge of a deal. I don't think it's a huge deal right now. Now, moving on to a different Montreal player, one that uh, Canuck fans are very familiar with, Tyler Toffoli. So he's had a bit of a slow start production-wise, 
with the Canadians. He's played, in my opinion, he's played well. But what uh, what do you think Canadians fans have to look forward to with him in the lineup? He's Toffoli at his best. Probably he's a legitimate top six winger. Uh, he's great. In, he's great in tight spaces. I, I one thing I really liked about him when he was at his best in Vancouver, and even though they only played ten games, regular season games, and a couple few games in the playoffs, but he's great in front of the net. Um, we talked about guys that were good net front guys that go to the net. And one thing I, about him that I think Canucks are missing is that presence of a guy that has quick hands in front of the net. And that's one thing Tafoli does have. Uh, same thing. He's great along the boards. He's a, he's great on, you know, in puck battles, he wins a lot of them. And again, with this quick, he's, he's quick. I mean, he's got quick hands and, Playing with Pedersen and Miller there for a while, I found that line to be pretty good, um, even though it wasn't the lotto line. Um, I think I think the Canucks should have made a bigger pitch in keeping to Foley. Um, you know, what he signed in Montreal was very budget-friendly. I found that the Canucks just kind of gave up on it. I don't know why in you know, in hindsight, maybe it was because they were too involved in getting Oliver Ekman Larson at the time. And Benning kind of got his sights on one guy and he's like, well, I got to try to get this guy. And then when it all fell apart, Toffoli's like, well, I'm moving on. I don't want to really wait around. Same thing with Troy Stetcher and Chris Tanev. I think Canucks lost out on negotiating with all three of those guys because they were trying to get a defenseman that wasn't really going to come here anyway. Uh but going back to the Foley, I think Montreal is going to see the best out of him. I think he's going to be a great addition in the long run for for them because of what he brings. He's got size. He's got he's got a lot of skill. He can score twenty plus goals for you. In this season, he won't. But I mean, in normal circumstances, he will be a twenty plus goal scorer. And He's a legitimate top six winger. I mean, he may have he may have started out. He's starting out slow, but I think in the long run, he's going to be a big uh, big part of the team. Do you think he's, him playing on the left side is uh, has it anything to do with him starting slow production wise? I think so. Um, <clears throat> when he was at his best with uh, Tanner Pearson and Jeff Carter in, in LA, he was a right winger. Uh, Tanner Pearson's a left. Um, unfortunately, the Canucks never really tried him with Horvat and Pearson, which is stupid in my opinion, because that's basically the same line. Uh, Bo Horvat's not as blue chip of a guy as Jeff Carter was at the time, but he's a similar player. He plays similar game, but they never tried it. And, but yeah, I think to fully to being on the other side, maybe hurting him a bit um, transition back to right. I think you're going to see a lot different. He's same thing. He played, on the top line with Pedersen and Miller on the right side as a right winger because Miller plays the left usually after he takes the face off um, because Pedersen can't win draws. So, um, but yeah, I think Foley, if you bring him back to the right, I think he's going to be, he's going to be a lot more effective. Now for predictions, we're looking at a three game set. It's kind of like a mini playoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's it's something the Canadians are are well built to uh, to endure. What is your prediction of this mini playoff series? I'm gonna say as what the Canucks have been playing so far. I think they're due for a win. I think they're gonna win tomorrow um, because of what's going on. And usually, when they go on a little bit of a losing streak like that, they usually come out with a strong effort. Especially coming, you know, they're playing at home again. Uh, even though there's no fans, but they're back in their, you know, back in Vancouver, they're going to be in their own uh, sleeping quarters, whatever they're doing right now. I don't know. They can't be at home, obviously, because they have to be in that bubble type thing. But I think they're going to be a little more comfortable here. They've heard all this stuff going around and usually they kind of respond. I think they'll win tomorrow. I think it's going to be Montreal winning two uh, Canucks win um tomorrow i hope it's going to be different but the way the canucks have been playing i i feel that 
it may not, it may be too early that it's all going to be a huge turnaround. They're going to win two out of three, but I hope to be pleasantly surprised. So it's kind of like a, the secret to success is a skip the dishes delivery of white spot. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I, uh, I, I agree with Matt. I think they're going to win at least one. <clears throat> I don't know what night they're going to win. I'm not going to say tomorrow night, but uh, uh, Montreal faced an Edmonton and played four games in six nights. So, uh, it was a tired Edmonton team, plus Koskin played every game because they really have no one else to play. Um, yeah. uh, Vancouver's going to be a bit more rested. Uh, and Montreal, I think, is going to be the tired team going in because they're going to be on, what, one, two, three, four, five, six. They'll be on six games in eight nights. So um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to say the second game of the, the back-to-back is what Montreal's going to lose. I think they'll win tomorrow, maybe lose the game Allen plays, not because it's Allen, but just because the back-to-back game. And uh, they'll they'll get the one in the in the late. That, that's my prediction. Two-to-one, Montreal. Yeah, I think the back-to-back night, I think that's Vancouver's best shot at uh, taking a game. I don't know if it's going to be in regulation or not. Um, if Montreal is... Uh, is lucky they can pull off an OT loss on that one as well. Um, so I, I do see Montreal taking two of them. Uh, if they pull off three, it would be the it would be a hell of a, uh, a road record for them to start off. So I don't know. I can't see it, especially with Vancouver having such a hard time in Calgary and then coming home and wanting to prove themselves. I think they're a team that has has something to prove, not just to themselves, but to the league as well. And I think you're right, Matt. Um, a team that falls uh, that falls behind like three, four losses in a row this early, it's going to be a tough road to hoe to drag yourself back into a playoff spot, especially when um, Vancouver was seen as that second tier. So you had yeah. uh, Montreal, Calgary, and Toronto in that top tier. And then Vancouver's right there at fourth place with Edmonton, they're kind of battling it out to get that last spot with, and Winnipeg as well. So you, you go down four games in a row. It's, it's really hard. So I can see a determined Canucks team coming back with a really great effort, but I don't see it sustained over the entire series. So. I, I think Montreal is just playing too hard, too well. All four lines are gelling. Uh, Everything right now is going right for Montreal. Not that it won't fall off the rails in the Vancouver series. And from your assessment there, Vancouver, Matt, uh, appreciated if to us Montreal fans. I don't know how Vancouver fans are going to appreciate, but it was an honest assessment. <clears throat> Just judging by that, that's why I think probably the second night of the back-to-back is where Vancouver is going to say, hey, we really got to pick up our socks. And then the fatigue is going to start hitting Montreal, I think, at that point as well. So, um I I personally had Vancouver sixth in the conference in the division. I think we talked about this on your podcast yeah. not too long ago, Matt. And uh, and my big reason was because I thought they lost more than they gained. I, I didn't think they, they they really fixed any holes in the offseason that they lost. And I'm not a big Holtby fan. So yeah. uh, I do like Demko, though. Uh, I don't think Vancouver's as bad as the way they're playing the last few games. I think I think you're right, Matt. I think they have a little bit of uh, preseason. Uh, they have that preseason uh, gameish thing going on, uh, uh, preseasonitis, I guess, and yeah. they, they just have to get over that, work out their kinks, and this will come down to how good of a coach Green is to get it out of yeah. them quick. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I think the biggest thing the Canucks need to do is fix their special teams. Um, I feel for their five-on-five game is been pretty good um you know I, I didn't mention this before but i think their puck movement and stuff has kind of been a bit up and down five on five but i feel that they haven't given up a ton of chances in that i think the five on five game has been pretty good i think the power plays when they get the goal scored against them all of a sudden the five on five play kind of falls off um i think special teams has been the biggest thing right now and if they can fix at least one of them, kill a bunch of penalties in a row, um, even just doing that, you know, get some confidence in those in the, those things because 
killing penalties and allowing so many goals on the penalty kill is just, it's a backbreaker. I mean, you're allowing so much and taking penalties too. I mean, the Canucks have been, I think they're still the top team in the league in minor penalties. Um, they got to stop being in the box and, and score on the power play. And the power play has to be something too. But I think it's going to all stem off special teams. If the Canucks can start, start improving on both of those, I think it can turn around pretty quickly. But that's two things that, you know, don't usually improve overnight, unfortunately. Well, trust me, as Montreal fans, we know about a terrible power play and penalty kill. We've had it for (laughs) almost three years now. So we're ecstatic that we're in the top five in both this (laughs) after three games. We're going to stop count right now. (laughs) I I do think that the first goal in the the game is going to make a big difference in this game. Uh, Not so much for Montreal, but for Vancouver. They seem like if they got that first goal, that uh, that confidence boost would probably change the way they approach the game for the remainder of that game. So um, they scored against Calgary first. That didn't yeah. help. Montreal That's hasn't played behind yet either. They haven't had a game where they've been behind. So even until Toronto scored the OT goal, they 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 led the entire Toronto game until overtime. So they have never yeah. played from behind. So it'll be it'll be yeah. interesting to see how they react. Right. Too, so yeah. But I, I, like I said, I think special teams is going to be the thing that'll ultimately will be the thing that'll turn the turn the season around. Um, and there's a huge, it can be a whole podcast on the Canucks power play right now because I think they're they're doing it not right, and they haven't been. I mean, even though they had a good power play last season, I still don't think they're utilizing Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson enough. Not in the fact that they got two great one-timers on their team and they only used one of them. But, and I figured out why yesterday they used JT Miller and Brock Besser's spot on the first unit power play. And Besser doesn't have a one-time. He's the net front presence for some stupid reason. But, because he's bigger. Besser's not a net front. He's a shooter. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully Vancouver keeps misusing their players. So yeah. that would be great. Travis Green doesn't. If we've I've talked about this on my podcast, he doesn't. His lineup decisions have are questionable most of the time. I mean, he's a good coach. His systems are really good, but his line combinations sometimes, or his he just gets set in certain ways, and he doesn't want to change it. Um, nothing against Travis Green. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a good coach for the team that the Canucks are right now. But there's certain decisions I think that he always seems to just keep going on and even though it's wrong. Fine, he finally gave up on Louis Erickson. But he was his guy for the longest time. You get playing with Bo Horvat and I I keep waiting for him to come back in the lineup, especially if the penalty kill keeps being horrible, I think as much as I, again, talking about players we hate in Vancouver is Louis Erickson. Um, very justified, but. He got signed after a great season in Boston, I believe it was, and yeah, did nothing. Uh, He's done nothing. He scored 30 goals in, what, five seasons? Is uh, Green's job on the line if they uh, come out of this Montreal series with a win? That's too soon, I think. But the the coaching coach firings, I I'm not one to be that type of person to throw a you know right all of a sudden fire the coach. Um, I think the Canucks just have to. We saw in the past Travis Green's been able to get this team going. I mean, last season they were a great team. In the playoffs, he adjusted his game a lot, um, and it worked. So I think Green has the capacity to adjust his game, but it has to be that the players have to kind of buy into that too. And, you know, a guy like Pedersen has to be, he's not Connor McDavid. I don't want to compare him to him, but he's got to be that type of player. Take over a game. That's what Connor McDavid did in the second game. He took it over. And that's what Pedersen's got to do. He has, he has the ability to do so. We've seen it in the past. He's been able to do it. I think Pedersen's got to just go off on a team and just get a bunch of points. And, and the Canucks will kind of go from there. I think a good team for that would be Toronto. 
As my, I would love to see that. <laughs> I would love to see that. Because at least you know it'd be all over the highlights on TSN. Oh, because yeah. they they don't show any highlights unless Toronto's in it. And only yeah. good Toronto yeah. highlights too. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, th I think we've covered pretty much everything. Uh, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a sneak peek on where they can find you and what, what you're covering? Oh, I, I said before, uh, I write primarily for the Canucks on the Hockey Writers. I'm the head of prospects there. We're going to be starting our draft coverage um, in March with the profiles coming out. That's still a bit of ways, but keep out dry for that. Uh, we've got a great draft uh, coverage team working tirelessly already on the profiles. So there's going to be a lot coming out on that. Um, I've got my rankings for the draft coming out in the next uh, week or so. So look out. Um, we got a couple other guys doing the rankings for the draft this year too. So there's going to be a lot going on in that capacity. I'll be keeping writing um, for the Canucks as well. And uh, of course I've got Canucks and Pucks podcast, which also comes out usually every week and uh, we talk about Canucks and stuff like that. So yeah, that's the two bigger parts that I go on. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's great to have someone from the, uh, the wrong coast come onto the show and uh, talk hockey with us. Um, as someone who lived out in BC for many years, uh, eh, I feel like I can chuck crap a little bit. <laughs> I was in Esquimalt for three months. <laughs> yeah, right now it's been actually really nice for temperature-wise. We're supposed to getting be getting a bunch of snow in the next so, but so a bunch oh, of snow to you is that like a centimeter? A bunch of snow is five centimeters. Whoa! Bunch of snow. It's fun. It's crazy. Shut down five the city. To ten centimeters. Shut the city shut down. down. That's not a joke. It'll be shut down. It, will there be right a state down. of emergency called? <laughs> oh wait no that's toronto only toronto calls the army in yeah right yeah we we freak out yeah. with five to ten centimeters yeah oh i lived in victoria when we had one centimeter and the city got shut down yeah. so yeah we get 15 here we're still going to work yeah yeah and yeah. i make fun of toronto calling in the army because i was one of the soldiers that went oh that's how old i am I you was like one of the guys camping. shoveling driveways in Toronto. You really liked camping, didn't you, Blaine? Oh, so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think you gave our listeners quite a bit to chew on. And uh, let's hope we see a great series. Yeah, I'm hoping so. It's like we're in baseball or something, these yeah. series. Like, it's like baseball. I was thinking that the other day. It's like we're, it's like these are base. This is a baseball season. All these different series with the same team. But yeah, it's it was fun coming on. I'm uh, I always love going on podcasts where I don't have to uh, uh, figure out the questions. <laughs> yeah, someday Treg's gonna help out with that. Yeah, I let Blaine do it all. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. And uh, remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. We here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please, click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. 
do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.